Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain. Each episode, we bring together leaders across the supply chain space to discuss the role of technology and business model innovation on the future of supply chain. The Future of Supply Chain podcast is presented by Dynamo. Dynamo is a pre-seed and seed stage supply chain investor. To learn more about Dynamo and this show, head over to www.dynamo.vc slash podcasts or subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now let's get into the show. Here's our host, Santosh Sankar. Hey folks, welcome back to the Future Supply Chain Podcast. I'm your host, Santosh Sankar. Joining me today is Haytham Elowari, CEO, co-founder of Kinetic. Welcome, Haytham. Hi, Santosh. Good to be here. It's great to have you join. And you know, before we proceed here, I do want to give props to Brad at Primary, who made the original introduction between the pair of us a couple years ago. And with that, you know, I I do want to just give the audience a quick 90 second overview of what Kinetic is. Would you be able to do the honors there? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so just to give you a quick summary of Kinetic, Kinetic is a a tech company that builds wearable technology to help reduce workplace injuries with a focus mostly on the industrial workforce. So really what, what we're trying to do is, is help reduce the injury rates, which are, which are pretty high, mostly in, in supply chain industries and manufacturing, and use that through, through, through technology. And, you know, what's the Hatham story? How did you end up in the world of worker safety, warehousing distribution? Because I think most people might recognize your name for being a champion in the New York hardware scene. Yeah, so it's it's a great question. And, you know, I, I arrived to New York about 12 years ago now. And, and, you know, my background is very much in sort of mechanical engineering and robotics. And so when I arrived in New York, I was like trying to find wh- where's the hardware scene? Like where are the people who are building physical products and dealing with, you know, engineering and manufacturing and all that sort of sort of good stuff. And and honestly, it was it was very nascent at the time. So I don't know if you remember when like MakerBot was around and like we we're starting to talk about consumer 3D printers and drones and things like that. But it was sort of that that time in New York. And and so, you know, I started up a hardware meetup and got got to meet a whole bunch of people, sort of created a community of about 5,000 people, all sort of with that in common, right? With the fact that we're sort of dealing with physical products and all the all the challenges and and opportunities that that entails. And so so that was really my hardware background. And the worker safety side, it's actually pretty unique because I grew up with my mother, who's a nurse, and she would get injured a lot. And, you know, it's dealing with patients, moving equipment. And, uh, and really what it made me realize is, you know, when you get injured at work, I mean, you bring that home with you. So it affects your personal life. It affects your, your ability to sort of provide for your family. And so the, the, I guess the challenges of injured at work is something that was at the back of my head for a while. And through this hardware community, I met my co-founder, Aditya, and he is sort of a, a hardware wizard and very much a wearables uh, guy. And so when we got together, he, he was like, hey, you know, I'm really good at building wearables. And I was like, hey, well, I know a, a set of problems in worker safety that, that leads to injuries, most of which can be prevented. And so that sort of union, I guess, <laughs> brought us to trying to build, you know, more sophisticated technology-based solutions to help reduce workplace injuries. Hmm. Interesting how uh, so many founders have part of their story, like originating as they're growing up, remembering kind of how family influenced the the certain observations or, or, or the certain passions that ultimately led them to building their startup. But now I'd love to kind of dig into Kinetic, you know, kind of what, what are you specifically doing? What is the type of problem uh, you're solving for the warehousers, distribution businesses? 
but equally if there are other customer profiles and how are you practically going about solving it? Because I do know kind of staying true to your background in, in engineering, there's a very interesting application of IoT here. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's, this problem is a really fascinating one. And the more you sort of get into it, you, the more you realize that it's a problem that we've, we've sort of ignored for a while. And I think it's really coming up now. So the problem we're trying to solve is, you know, in, in many industries where physical labor is an important part of your work. So think of manufacturing, think of warehousing, think of construction, nursing, wherever you have to sort of use your body, the injury rates in those industries are incredibly high. And, and the reason for that is, you know, obviously if, if you're doing physical work, well, you know, the, you could say the work in itself is a little more hazardous, but the, the real issue is that there's been a lot of push and emphasis on productivity. And so people are having to work faster and harder and overtime, especially these days. And so the emphasis on productivity hasn't really been followed by an emphasis on safety or an emphasis on training workers to use their bodies in the best possible way at work to avoid injury. So what you're seeing is you're seeing people really pushing their bodies to the limit, but not really receiving enough training or enough know-how to sort of move their bodies in the right way. And so when you look at injury rates, the, the injury rates are, are huge. I mean, there literally is over a million injuries a day in the US and so, sorry, in the, in the world. And so the injury rates are very, very high. And so to solve that is, is very tricky because, you know, the way companies have typically gone about it is, hey, you know, let's, let's incorporate some training, right? And so you'll have a new couple of workers start. You'll be like, hey, we're going to train you. We spend 30 minutes training you. And then the expectation is that you now know how to move your body. How to, how to lift, how to push, how to pull, how to you know, do that sort of stuff. And in practice, 20-minute training doesn't change a habit, doesn't create a new habit in the way you move. And so really the only way to, to help workers sort of understand how to use their body in the best way to avoid injury is with a much more sort of technology-based real-time solution, right? That, that was really the hypothesis that we had. So, hey, if you had almost like real-time coaching, is that enough to create a new habit? Is that enough to, to allow you to understand how to move your body to avoid injury? And, and, and so, and, and, and I guess kind of the way I think about it and, and for our audiences, like getting a trainer at the gym if you're trying to learn how to lift weights the right way and they're constantly coaching you and ensuring your form is up to par. That's, that's a really good analogy, Santosh, because it's almost as if if someone gave you a 20-minute video and said, this is how you lift weights. And they said, like, all right, now go lift weights, right? And, and by the way, you've got to lift, you know, 50 an hour, right? And so so that's really the, the parallel, right? And so, like, if you do that, you're probably going to get injured. You might not get injured in week one, especially if you're a 25-year-old, pretty strong. But, you know, month two, three, four, five, you, you're going to get hurt. And so what we've done is we've built a wearable that goes on your belt. It almost feels like a pager. I got to say that I never, <laughs> we didn't intend it to look like a pager, but it sort of looks like a pager. <laughs> it, uh, it goes on your belt. And really what it's able to do, it's able to measure your body mechanics in real time and give you that real-time coaching, real-time feedback every time you do a movement that could put you at risk of injury. So, you, you know, to give you an example, you, you know, you've got to lift the box, right? And so if you bend at the waist to pick it up instead of sort of squatting, which is, is the right way, when you bend at the waist, the device will detect it, right? And so you know, oh, right, I, you know, I've just done a high-risk movement. And it will count how many of these you've done, right? Because, you know, being an engineer, I'm very quantitative. So to, to understand if you're improving, you've got to have a number, right? You've got to understand, well, how many of these am I doing every day? And 
how many should I be doing? Am I improving? That's sort of so that's really what the device does. It, it gives you real time feedback and it counts how many of the tireless movements you're doing. That's sort of, I would say the basics. And then we sort of layer on top a bunch of like, you know, make it a game, have you compete against your colleagues. So you really try to make it a, a, a bit like your Fitbit, right? Where you're sort of challenged to improve every day. What is it about kind of having some type of telemetric device on the waist that allows you to kind of identify high-risk movements, whether your form is right, keeping count? Is there something kind of about the human body where the where reading at the waist is kind of a very high probability indicator of such? That's a really, it's a good question, Santos, because we didn't start at the waist. And so, you know, if you think when we started with this company, like our challenge initially was how do you build a device that workers are willing? Because in this space of sort of device on body type of, of, of scenarios, the number one challenge all these types of industries is how do you get workers to want to adopt this, right? And uh, you know, companies for the most part, some of them might make it mandatory, but for the most part, you can't rely on that. So you really have to design a product like this with the idea, how do I make it such that the worker wants to wear it, right? And so part of that is comfort, making it discreet, making it easy to wear, making it robust. And part of that is making it fun, making it a game. And so in terms of the comfort part, you know, the, the best way to measure the work of body mechanics is to, is to strap on a sensor, you know, on the chest or on the back or that sort of thing. But, you know, <laughs> our first version of our device sort of looked like that. And, and I remember workers referring to it as the bra, right? Which, which, you know, you're on the wrong track when that happens. And so, <laughs> so, so we spent a lot of time, actually the first two years of the company, just, you know, iterating versions of the device that workers would be like more and more willing to. So. We had like a safety belt, you know, one of those old school safety belts, the back braces that you'd wear with sensors embedded and, and people don't like wearing it. We had a version strap onto your chest, almost like a GoPro, if you remember like GoPro straps. And, and again, they get sweaty and gross and look like a bra, I guess. And then, and then we, we ended up with this version on the belt and you know, the way you would put your phone on your belt or the way you put a tape measure on your belt, it really sort of emulated experiences that workers are pretty comfortable doing, but they do pretty frequently. So that's why it sort of ended up on, and of course, you know, if you end up on the hip, the challenge now becomes, well, how do you measure what the body's doing? And so it became a pretty sophisticated machine learning problem where we had to train the device to understand that certain movements of the hip correspond to certain movements. And so once we sort of figured out, okay, we've built a device that people are willing to wear, they're comfortable wearing, pretty rugged, then it became like, okay, how do we make it? And so we spent a good, a good, I would say nine months really building out this algorithm that could detect, depending on how your hips move, how you can rest of your body. And luckily for us, I, I always uh, say this sort of jokingly that, you know, Shakira has a song called Hips Don't Lie. Luckily for us, it's actually true. So your hips are very indicative of what the rest of your body is doing. So we took advantage of that and sort of built the algorithm such that it could really tell what your body is doing just based on the movement. And, you know, I, I want to kind of jump into here. You, you, you mentioned how you iterated on the hardware. And I think there's something interesting there because there's part of the go-to market and sales motion that, that's hand in hand with that. And sales around supply chain is always interesting. And I, I tend to say like the, the plot thickens when you add IoT to the mix. 
Are there any key lessons from you know discovery as well as selling into those early customers as an IoT enabled business? Yeah, absolutely. So so we learned a lot customers because you know at the beginning you sort of take on anyone who's willing to give you a chance. And really what we learned is the, the reason it's complicated to get these products into the market is because typically the group at a large organization that's in charge of this would be safety, right? It's, it's, they tend to have pretty sophisticated safety organizations and those safety folks are the folks that are in charge of designing the program around the product, around the device, training the workers to, to wear it, how to wear it and what it can do. But safety doesn't really have a budget, right? So they are, they're almost considered like a cost center of an organization. And so the group that has the budget is operations. And if you think about it, operations sort of really owns the sort of workforce, right? And, and, and what they do. And so sales was tricky because you had a, a user who's the worker, you have a safety team. That's the group that's sort of in charge of the success of the program, but then you have operations that's going to pay for it as to see the direct. And so it becomes a complicated sale because you've got to sort of align all these groups, but ultimately you have to speak the language of operations in order for them to, to give you the budget. So. What that meant in practice is that, you know, we focus a lot on reducing injury rates. And so for operations, you've got to speak in terms of you know, injury rates have gone down. Great. What does that mean in terms of money? Like how much money have you saved from having to pay for injury? What does that mean in terms of workers being productive, right? In, in a time where there's huge labor shortage. So those are the types of things you have to talk about when you speak to operations. Whereas, for example, a safety group is very much focused on the injury rates and how am I going to measure injury rates and how am I going to measure high-risk movements and things like that. So I would say the plot definitely thickens because you have multiple, multiple groups. But I would say what's happened really since, probably since COVID, is that there's been a much greater appreciation of this workforce, a much greater understanding that you need to invest in this workforce to keep them productive, to keep them safe to make sure you can run your operations. Even, even just, if you think about it, even just the labeling of this workforce, the essential workers, right? I mean, they've always been doing this work, right? And it's just now that there's sort of been this, this increased recognition around investing in that type of workforce. And so I would say that, you know, sales is complicated, but there are definitely wins in our favor now because there's this understanding that you have to invest. Yep, yep. And so kind of turning to your business model, you have an interesting approach where you actually are monetizing around the insurance. Could you detail that a bit for us? Yeah. So this is actually something I'm very excited about. You know, I always joke that, you know, we're getting into insurance now and that as a kid, I never dreamed of selling insurance, <laughs> but, but it turns out that's what we're doing right now. And so the way, the way it works is, you know, traditionally, especially in the beginning, we were selling to large organizations that are typically self-insured. And what that means is that they pay for their own injuries. And so since they pay for their own injuries, it's very easy to make a, a case to them that if they invest in this product, they will save money, right? And so that's really where we focused on initially. And we focused on that group initially because we really wanted to, they're very sophisticated and they are really good at, at looking at data. And so they're a very sort of good group of companies to demonstrate the impact of the point, right? So. We've had this on 35,000 workers. We're collecting like 15 million hours of data. And, and sort of with all that data, what we've done is we uh, now understand the impact of the product a lot, both in terms of reducing injury rates and in terms of reducing sort of lost work, right? And so, so at that point, you know, 
once you have sort of the proof that the product works repeatedably, we've always, you know, you, you sort of have two options here. One is you continue to sell to these large self-insured organizations, but, but the other option, which for us is, is very attractive is, well, how do I, how do I make this widespread? Right. And the way to make this widespread, especially for companies that maybe don't have the means of these sort of fortune 2000 companies is that you include it as part of insurance. So in, you know, workers comp insurance, just sort of to summarize what, what the, there's a law that basically says in workers comp that every company has to pay for injuries, regardless of, right. And so most companies fulfill that obligation by buying workers' comp insurance, right? So it's a $60 billion industry, ton of premium there, $60 billion. And all workers' comp insurance is exactly the same, right? It's not focused on prevention. All it's focused on is if you have an injury, I will pay your costs. And that's right. So it's very much a transactional type of insurance, which is mandatory and pretty expensive for, for hazardous industries. And so for us, we saw an opportunity in there to say, well, look, we can create an insurance offering workers comp that doesn't just pay for your claims, but also provide you with technology that can help prevent those claims from happening in the first place. Right. And so that's very exciting because one, it's, it's a huge market Two, it's a market that hasn't really innovated in the past at all. And three, it allows us to put the product in the hands of, of organizations that are smaller than sort of these typical large fortune 2000. And so, so anyway, last year, what we did is we, we partnered up with Nationwide in order to be able to offer workers' comp insurance, which includes a safety product at no extra cost to the policy element. And so, you know, again, starting January 1st this year, we're now selling insurance. We're selling workers' comp. And our initial traction has been very, very good. So you can definitely see that it's a type of insurance that is resonating with people. Yeah, yeah. It, was there kind of like a mindset shift from perhaps approaching it initially as a IoT, IoT-enabled SaaS business, and then maybe something that was more worker-centric around warehousing distribution to now, you know, being really a bona fide insurance player that happens to leverage interesting technology and sell into this warehousing vertical? How, how did you have to evolve as a CEO through that? How did your team yeah, so, maybe as well? <laughs> it was a pretty big change. I mean, because we, we had a go-to-market motion that was very focused on these large enterprise customers. And, you know, the type of sellers we had were pretty sophisticated, you know, dealing with large enterprises, with long sales cycles. And really on the insurance, the way you sell is through brokers, so through third parties who you, you train to sort of understand the offering and then they bring companies to you who are interested in your insurance, right? So it's definitely a big mind shift from like how you, but, but I will say that, you know, on the insurance side, there's a couple of very interesting things here, right? It, it is, it's a mandatory type of insurance. So every single company budgets, right? So the, the sale, I would say the large enterprises is, Hey, you typically haven't budgeted for wearables, right? So, you know, try to prioritize this over some other operation investment that you were going to make. Whereas the, the sales process in insurance is like, look, you've really budgeted for work is calm. You can get it from your traditional carrier that is exactly the same as all the other carriers out there, or you can get it from us where we'll actually help you reduce injuries, which is going to be better for you and for your workers and for your future premium, which will go, right? So the, the sales proposition here is much more intriguing and interesting, right? And, uh, and sort of 
almost recession proof, right? Like it's a mandatory coverage. So it doesn't matter what's going on in the world mm-hmm. and everyone has to buy it. Every- yeah. And, you know, we've increasingly run into founders who want to solve problems at this intersection of supply chain, insurance. How did you decide, you know, whether you want to be a broker versus the MGA model or even trying to go out and be an underwriter yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, it's, I would say last year I learned a lot about insurance and that's where a lot of of the learning happened and sort of deciding. But, you know, really, ultimately, you have to decide on a couple of things. What do you, what do we want to do as a company versus what do we want our, our insurance company partner to do, right? So in the case of us and Nationwide, we wanted to be able to build out a network of brokers and educate those brokers in selling our product. Because really, we can't rely on someone else to do that. So we wanted to be able to own, I would say, like the, the broker network. And then the other thing is we're collecting some pretty interesting data about workforce risk. And so we knew that that data could improve the way underwriting is done. So for for those who don't know, like underwriting is a way to evaluate the risk of a company and price the insurance accordingly. So if you have data about, you know, risky movements that workers are doing, that can help you evaluate the risk of a client and price that insurance way better than sort of existing methods. So we knew that we wanted to own that that broker network in order to sell. And we wanted to own underwriting because we thought we could have a unique advantage against any other carrier. So really in, in the agreement that we have with Nationwide, we're an MGA that does the underwriting and does the uh, broker network and Nationwide does everything else. So they do the claims, they do all the compliance stuff. And so they they provide reinsurance of all the, 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 the harder things to understand on the insurance world. They do all of that. Whereas we focus on these two things that we really want to be good at. And so a lot of the decision around what you do is really dictated by where you feel you can have an advantage. And how does one get a toehold as an MGA? Because it sounds big and scary. (laughs) It it is sort of big and scary. And really the answer is a combination of hire people who know what they're doing. So we hired a bunch of insurance folks pretty early on. So our head of underwriting joined us right when we were starting starting negotiations about becoming an MGA. And then rapidly, once we knew this was going to happen, we brought on some folks that have built distribution, have built broker networks in the past. So really the answer is mostly get people who know what they're doing. But I will say that it's really good to have a healthy, like to question everything. Because I think a lot of folks that come from the insurance world sort of take certain ways of doing things for granted because it's it's sort of the way it's always been done. And I think having sort of a healthy questioning around, well, why do we underwrite like this? Or why do we have to do this? Or, you know, really leads to sort of the best of both worlds, right? The the, the type of user experience that, that tech companies typically offer and sophistication around, you know, data. And sort of the the expertise that you need from insurance to understand like what you're allowed and not allowed to do. Because that's the thing that I encounter the most sometimes is that we have lots of ideas and we brainstorm and I would say 80% of what we come up with is illegal. And so you want someone to be able to tell you that. Mm-hmm. And so you can focus on the 20% that's legal, but but that can really get you ahead in the insurance. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, I want to wrap up here and uh, do a bit of rapid fire. So this is essentially where I kind of raise a phrase or a statement or a current event concept, and you have about 15 seconds to respond to it. You ready? Yep. Labor shortages across supply chains. Brutal. I mean, we've had clients that have 12 people start on a Monday and none of them show up. Like it's, it's brutal. Your favorite hardware product? Probably my AirPods. 
And finally, your outlook for the New York City startup ecosystem. Very bullish on New York. I think most investors that I've met have sort of been traditional finance folks. And now a lot of them are into pieces around industrial supply chain. So definitely a lot more diversity. It's a very exciting. Awesome. Well, that, Haytham, thank you for joining us here, sharing the kinetic story, but also schooling us as to how you build a business at the intersection of insure tech and supply chain tech. Thank you so much, Santos. It was a great pleasure to be here. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a five-star review and tell us what you liked. And be sure to head over to podcast.dynamo.vc to keep up to date with our latest content or subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. Until next time.